Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. The message today I'd like to share with you comes from Malachim Aleph, 1 Kings chapter 17. And I'll, I'll confess to you that it was very hard to whittle this down. So I'm just pick, picking a section of 1 Kings chapter 17. You're probably familiar with it, familiar with scripture. This scenario is mentioned also in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. And it involves the widow of Zarephath. How many of you have heard of the widow of Zarephath? You probably have. So here's what it says in 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning with verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. In Hebrew, he's called Eliyahu. Can you say Eliyahu? Let's try that again. Eliyahu. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, to Eliyahu, saying, Kum, lech, arise, go to Zarephath which belongs to Sidon. And if you look on a map today, Sidon is still the name of a town in southern Lebanon, just across the border from Naharia and Rosh uh, Nikra uh, in, the, in the, the coastal area of, of northern Israel. Arise, go to Seraphah, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded Isha Almanah, a widow woman there, to provide for you. Verse 10, 1 Kings 17, verse 10. So Elijah arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And Elijah called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as the widow was going to get it, <laughs> Elijah called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of kemach, a handful of flour in a bin, mayat shemen, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Verse 13 and Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a ugakitana, a small cake from, its, from it first, and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. And then verse 14 transitions this whole scene, transitions at verse 14. As Elijah begins to speak the word of the Lord to this very desperate situation, has God ever spoken into your life at a very desperate time? Probably true. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, 
The bin of kemach, of flour, shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and right there at that point is a transition. She could have done what Elijah said or not done what Elijah said. And at this point for her in particular, it says, so she went away and did. She did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Now, this well-known passage, and now I'm sure as we've read through it, many of you say, oh, yeah, I remember this passage now. This well-known passage is much studied. It's really a miraculous passage. It involves miracles, uh, to use the term that we have now. And this passage and even the faith, the trust of the widow has become a, a great inspiration to us, even now, many generations later, many hundreds and even thousands of years later, an inspiration. Again, the widow could have disobeyed. The widow could have went the other direction, etc. Elijah could have said, no, I'm not going to Sidon. Why would I go there? Elijah could have, you know, in a sense, um, not gone with the program that God had, but he did, and they both did. And as a result, the blessing of the Lord came into that circumstance. And by the way, when we face some difficult circumstances, it's very important for us it's important for us to make sure that we go the Lord's way in that circumstance. The end result of going the Lord's way versus not following the Lord, two different results occur. And I'm so thankful for God's grace. Has he ever extended grace to you when you didn't make the right decision at times? He's extended grace because he is merciful. He is kind. He, he's forgiving of us, but he wants us to do what's right in his sight. Why? Well, there are many reasons why, but one of the reasons is that doing what's right in his sight is actually the very best thing for our life, too. It's the best thing for the kingdom, and it's the best thing for our lives when we do what's right. But notice what it says, and there are several lessons I want to point out from this passage. We could spend many hours just talking about the verses I've already read from 1 Kings 17. But notice what it says in 1 Kings 17, 8. Let's look at that again. It says, Kum, lech, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. By this time in Elijah's life, if you follow his life, the history we have in the Tanakh and the Hebrew Scriptures in the Bible... By this time in his life and ministry, Elijah had learned some, some pretty strong lessons about obeying, about obedience. He had learned that obeying the Lord was a critical factor to him and to fulfilling God's call upon his life. And it was a critical factor to what would become the outcome of his situations that he faced. And according to 1 Kings 17, verse 10, it says this, Elijah rose and he went to Zarephath, we see that he did what he was told to do. And I'm emphasizing that today because that really does make a difference. For, that's a differentiation point for us. Those that obey the Lord, those that don't obey the Lord. 
And may we be found in that group that really seeks to obey the Lord and to do what the Lord says. Not in that other group that basically does their own thing or disobeys the Lord. Elijah did what he was told to do by the Lord. In New Covenant terms, if we were put into terms of the New Covenant, the New Testament, we can say that to walk in the Spirit, if we're going to walk in the Spirit, we must do what the Lord says and we must do it with a proper heart attitude. That's a real walk in the Spirit. How many agree with that? If you're going to walk in the Spirit, the first point is you have to obey what the Lord says to do. That's the, if you're going to walk in the Spirit, that's the end of just doing your own thing. That's the end of following the ways of the world, because the ways of the world and the ways of the Spirit, 99.9% .9 of the time are totally in, they're in total variance there. So to walk in the Spirit, if we look at New Covenant teaching, the book of Galatians, the book of Romans, other places, we realize that we're to obey what the Lord says, but not just, you know, rote obedience, but we want to get to that point where we obey the Lord because of something in here, because our heart's convinced, because we love the Lord. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we want to obey the Lord because of a, a love connection with him, because of his love. We love him because he first loved us. A re reciprocity there. We recognize his love for us and we respond through obedience. Yeah, yes, Lord, I love you. I want to do what you say. And when we look at Elijah's life, we see that he did that quite often. But then when we turn to some of the things Yeshua said, Yeshua being the Hebrew name for Jesus, we find this parable that he told in Matatiao, Matthew chapter 21, beginning with verse 28. It's a very intriguing parable. He said in Matthew 21, Yeshua said, beginning with verse 28, and he starts it out with this question. He said, but what do you think? And I'll, I would ask you today, what do you think? And listen to what Yeshua says. And, and what do you think about it? He said, but what do you think? He's addressing a crowd of people around him. By the way, not all of them were friendly faces. <laughs> Some of them were not friendly faces. Over and over again, as we read the best of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we find that within the crowds, there were those who were friendly to Yeshua, and very often there were those who were not very friendly to Yeshua. There were even those around him who were seeking to find fault with him. Now, I know none of us have ever been fault finders, have we? <laughs> but seeking to find fault with him, waiting to catch him if he said something wrong, waiting to catch him if they thought he did something wrong, etc. And here's what he said. He said, but what do you think? Matthew 21, verse 28. A man had two sons. And the man came to the first and said, son, go. By the way, that's a connection word. Go, lech, go. Son, lech, go. Work today in my vineyard. And the son answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it. And he went. Then the father comes to the second son. And he came to the second son and he said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Yeshua brings it back to his hearers with this question. 
Which of the two did the will of his father? Which of the two, he asked them. He started out saying, but what do you think? And then in the middle of this, he gets to the end of this parable, and in the middle of what he's going to say, he says, which of the two did the will of his father? And it says in the text, it says, they said to him, the first. Yeshua said to them, assuredly I say to you that tax collectors and harlots Enter the kingdom of God before you. For John, Yochanan, Hamatbil, John the Immerser, came to you in the way of righteousness. He came to you in the way of righteousness, and Yeshua characterizes, and, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw this, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Now, I don't know what happened with that crowd there, and you can read it. It doesn't go much farther than that in, in this particular parable. But I suppose that there were people responding in many different ways. Because people do that in different circumstances. You, you, uh, husbands and wives may respond differently to the same circumstance. Close friends may respond differently to the same circumstance. One person may sit there scratching his beard, and the other was like, you know, what's this all about? Maybe you could have heard a pin drop there at that point as the, the impact of this message hit. And the message was about, the Yeshua's teaching was about doing the will of God. And even if that means changing your course in life, repenting of where you're going and what you've been doing, but doing, doing the will of God is the rubber meets the road principle. And it was better. The first one said, let's repeat it. He answered and said, I will not go. But afterwards, he regretted it. And you know what he did? He went. The second one, notice that if you, if you notice the, the phrasing here, the second one said, I go, sir, very respectfully. I go, sir. But he did not go. The first one eventually did the will of God, but it took some changing. It took some regret. It took some, we could use the word repentance, to come to that place to actually do it. And friends here today, even if it takes you looking back and saying, no, I have to change my course, it is always best to do the will of God. It's always best to obey the Lord, even if it means you have to change your course that you're on. Even if you come to the place and you realize, hey, I haven't been doing this thing right. I haven't been living my life correctly before God or properly or righteously before God. It's better to repent of that to feel regret and to go the direction of the Lord than to say you're going to obey the Lord and not obey him. So as we try to obey the Lord's leading, we soon learn, we soon learn that God may do things in a manner differently, different manner than we expected. I think that happened with Elijah and the widow. At this time, uh, the context of Elijah and the widow was three and a half years of no rain. That's a long time. Even in a semi-arid place like Israel, 
Three and a half years with no rain. And God sends Elijah for provision. He sends, where does he send Elijah? He sends Elijah to somebody that Elijah wouldn't have thought of. To the widow of Sarephat in southern, what we call southern Lebanon, Sidon. He sends Elijah to a person that could barely get by herself. And the end result, as you know, the end of the story, because we've already read it, the end result is that not only is Elijah blessed with provision, but she's blessed with provision that doesn't run out. And God does things differently than we would anticipate. How many of you have encountered in your life situations where God did something different than you expected, and you, you didn't even think of that, and God did it? It's happened many times in my life. He intervened. You know, it's very in keeping with the word of God. For Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We shouldn't be surprised when God intervenes in our life, comes from a different direction than we even anticipated. What we should rejoice about is that God is intervening in our life, and that gives us the opportunity to walk steadfastly with him. In Elijah's case, he was told in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 9, God told him, he said, see, Elijah, look. Look, Elijah, see this? He said, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. If Elijah had been listing all the different ways God might have provided for him in that circumstances, I don't know if widows would have been at the top of the list. And speaking of such, being a widow in the time of Elijah was no easy task, and I don't believe it's an easy task now. It was no easy task. The Torah dictates that we should take special care of widows and to give them special consideration. The, door, the Torah says, and it's followed through in the rest of the uh, biblical writings, that uh, the Torah says that be careful how you treat widows. It almost like forewarns they may start praying to God <laughs> about you. And guess who he's going to listen to? But it was no easy task being a widow in Sidon, the widow of Zarephath in the region of Sidon in southern Lebanon at the time of Elijah. It was very difficult. But I think it's true to say that God has a special place in his heart of hearts for widows and godly widows, widows that serve God. They have a special place in their hearts for the Lord. So it's reciprocal. God has a special place in his heart for widows, and we can even add the word widowers there. And usually godly widows have a special place in their heart for the Lord there. It's also true that godly widows are a great gift to the body of Messiah since they oftentimes bring to a community a bevy of wisdom. They bring to a community ideas, ideals of devotion. They bring to a community an openness to serve the Lord. Look at this widow of Zarephath. She was willing to do what Elijah said. She was willing to do it. She was willing to believe what the Lord was saying through Elijah, and she acted upon it. 
And widows oftentimes have many giftings from the Lord. They have much fruit of the Lord at work in their life, and they have to deal with it. I mean, think about Naomi in the story of Ruth, how she had to deal with this inner function inside of her, where she even described herself in the book of Ruth. She says, I'm bitter. I'm bitter. And widows have to deal with the stuff like that in a, a different manner than those who are within a complete family group. So the widow of Zarephath that helped Eliyahu, Elijah, to this day remains an honored person here. Do you realize, capture this scene right now. Here we are in the year 2022 in Oklahoma City talking about this widow of Zarephath. Her name was not lost in history. Her, who she is was not lost in history. We're still talking about her. It's canonized in Scripture. Yeshua references her. Her deed, her deed of faith towards Elijah remains as a testimony to her. And by the way, our deeds and our actions are a testimony of us. And what kind of deeds, what kind of actions are we showing as our testimony to the world around us? That's an important question. But she was given a choice. She was given a choice by the Lord whether to obey or not obey. I mean, she could have said no. Elijah, I don't want you around me. She didn't. She could have said no. I, I just have just this much. How am I going to share this with you? And Elijah says, no, give, give me, make me, a, make me a little cake first. And she did it. What a heart she had. And she was, in that sense, she was used of the Lord to supply for Elijah, and she received a great reward to herself and at least to her son. It says her whole household. We don't know how many people were there. But this widow chose wisely to serve God and his people, represented by Elijah. And the text tells us that the widow of Sarapath, she was in despair, she was in a situation, she was struggling to get by and to care for her son. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 12, you might have caught this when we first read it. She said, see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son. That sounds good, but then there's the next statement. That we may eat and die. She was almost at a point of hopelessness. She's almost at a point, and how good is the Lord to touch this widow to use his servant Elijah and vice versa? Could a widow who thinks she's about to die, who has little or no resources and with an assumedly dependent son, could that widow be God's source of supply to the mighty prophet Elijah? whom God was using at that very time to stop the rain for three and a half years, referred to also in the book of James, where it describes that Elijah was a, a man just like the rest of us. Could that widow be the person that God would use to supply the mighty prophet Elijah? Well, the answer is, let me say it in the vernacular, yes, siree, Bob. <laughs> That's the one, because the heart, God sees the heart, that God sees, 
And please don't think you're overlooked by the Lord. He knows exactly what's happening in your life. He desires you to obey him. He desires us to obey him. In 1 Kings 17, verse 13, which we also read, Elijah told the widow what seems to the carnal mind to be outlandish. What he says to her is a little bit outlandish, in my opinion. Yet if we ponder Elijah's instructions, we realize a far greater eternal spiritual truth is set forth than the physical eating of food. food. Clearly, clearly, the administration of the will and the word of God should supersede all else. This is what it says in verse 13 of 1 Kings 17, which we previously read. Elijah said to the widow, he said to her, notice the first thing he says, do not fear. How many of us have been hindered by one fear or the other type of fear? If you look up types of fear that there are out there among mankind, the list is so long, you might be here till next Shabbat trying to write it all. Fear of this, fear of that. Some are afraid of the future. Some are afraid of the present. Some are afraid of spiders. Some are afraid of heights. Some are, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And I'm sorry if I mentioned something that you have troubles with. But the first thing Elijah says, do not fear. And then he says this, once you get the fear out of the way, and fear hinders faith, Amen. they conflict each other. They're in constant conflict. And God has not given us a spirit of fear. It tells us clearly, because Timothy, whom that is said to, Timothy had a struggle with being timid. And God has not given, it, given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and sound mind, sound judgment. Elijah said to her, verse 13, 1 Kings 17, do not fear. And then he says this, once fear is dealt with, then the very next statement becomes much more easy to attain. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first, underline first, and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. To me, that's an outlandish statement. Make a small cake. You don't have anything to begin with. Make it and bring it to me first. After that, then take care of yourself. You know, the text is pretty interesting because there's not a lot of arguing going on between them. Did you notice that? She doesn't argue about it. I think she seizes the moment spiritually. She recognizes what's going on somewhat. And widows oftentimes have great discernment because of the things they've gone through in life. She recognizes what's going on, and she does what Elijah says to do. But he said... Make me a small cake from it first. Matthew 6, 33, many of you have it memorized by heart. That same principle applies throughout Scripture where it tells us to seek ye first the kingdom of God. How that verse changes if we switch the first part. Seek ye last the kingdom of God. Seek ye fifth the kingdom of God. Seek ye forth the kingdom of God. Doesn't quite fit, does it? What Yeshua said at this point in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, when he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then he adds this, And his righteousness. Then all the rest will be added to you. 
You get your priorities right kingdom-wise, God will take care of the rest. I don't mean to simplify it too much because taking care of the rest can be some real challenging times for us. How many of you have waited on the Lord in some difficult circumstances and you wondered, is God going to come through? Yet, here you sit. <laughs> here we sit today or stand today because God does come through. He is faithful. He's faithful even when we are faithless because he can't deny his own faithful nature. That's who he is. Blessed be his name. Now, Elijah had promised, as I mentioned, he promised the widow would have ongoing provision. But such provision was predicated upon her obedience, her obedience to do what he said and, in a sense, put in kingdom first. First Kings 17, verse 14 says, this is what he told the widow again to repeat, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up nor shall the jar of oil run dry till the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. How good is the Lord? How merciful, how kind, how generous is he? Can you imagine the delight in that widow's heart when she was just thinking she was gathering sticks to make her last morsel of bread so that her and her son could die? That's how hungry they were. She actually thought she was on death's door. The bin of flour shall not be used up. I don't know what kind of a face she had when she heard that. I don't know if it was a jaw-dropping moment like, what? Or a big smile because people react differently and we're not told. You know, we too can expect God's provision in our life. But it's brought to us when we wait upon him and trust him. And we cast out fear and we walk by faith. It's brought to us in the way that he desires, not the way that we command him to. In other words, he does it his way. <laughs> and as we obey him and we do his will daily, we will see his provision. And it will come in many ways. I'm sure if we went around this sanctuary today and I asked you the different ways God has provided for you, we'd have a long list of different ways. I've known individuals who found money on the ground. I've known individuals who had someone pay for the groceries in the grocery line. I've known individuals who had, uh, they were given a car by someone when they needed a car. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. No individuals who don't, who realize, wow, how did, how did our groceries last this long? They still don't know. I remember one particular situation uh, many years ago an Italian dinner at an Italian family's home, and they kept inviting people to their house. <laughs> and it was the biggest pot of pasta you've ever seen. I'd ever seen. Anyway, maybe you've seen bigger. And I won't mention her name, but the missus was looking at that pot of pasta and watching the guests coming in, and I could just hear her thinking, and she was wondering... Is this going to make it? I mean, she could sacrifice her own dish, but how far will that go? And they had just an open home of hospitality, inviting people in, and people came in. I was there for this. <laughs> I was there in the pasta line waiting for the pasta. <laughs> and you know what? 
Afterwards, she was amazed. Now, I didn't know all the background, but she was amazed that what she had cooked lasted, and it was enough for everyone. She really called it a miracle. I don't know if I would go that far. I don't know. I don't know all the details. But she was amazed. She was absolutely amazed. How did this happen? I just had this much pasta, and there was enough for everyone there. God provides in ways we don't know. Let's not, let's not confine him to our way of doing things, but let's let him be God in these areas. Let's let him be the real true provider for us. Elijah had some strange provisions, didn't he? A raven bringing him meat. I was reading about that a couple days ago. What would you do if a raven came and tapped on your door with a big piece of meat in its beak? <laughs> What would you do? I mean, there's so many different provisions uh, there. So let's, let's allow God to do what he's going to do. But be sure, and this is an important point. If you don't hear anything else, please hear this. Be sure that you are actively doing the Lord's will. That notches it up some for you. Actively doing the Lord's will. One of the most famous quotes of this generation Actually, it's the last generation, was by Hudson Taylor. How many of you have heard of Hudson Taylor? He was a real uh, uh, a legend, but he, he, he recognized cultural identification as important for reaching out to other cultures. So he ended up going to China, and he had the audacity to learn Chinese and not just speak British English. The audacity, and I'm being facetious, the audacity to go to China and actually realize, well, I need to speak the language of the Chinese and not expect that they're going to have the Queen's English and to eat Chinese food. And he even went farther. He dressed like Chinese of his generation. He had a long ponytail in the back. I don't know what they call that. He did all that there. But he also said this, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. And I'm also reminded what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And notice, please, this first statement. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Has he been abundant in his grace to you, my friends, today? Anyone? Is just me, the only one here today that's had abundant grace? God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, notice the next statement, may have an abundance for what? For every good work. He's going to supply for you so that you can do his work, every good work that he has for you. Paul knew that grace is an essential part of God's provision for us. He knew that it was necessary for us. If we were going to do the work of the Lord, we needed God's grace to do that. And Rob Shaul, Paul entreated the Lord three times, and God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Now, to conclude here, the widow of Zarephath, 
She complied with the word of the Lord despite her problematic situation. She really thought it was curtains for her. It was the end for her and her son. She was about to bake the last bit of dough they had. And her compliance to the Lord resulted in provision well beyond her own measures, well beyond her own means, well beyond anything she could have anticipated. Friends, when you obey the Lord and you do what he says, expect his intervention at his timing, but also in his way, because he's faithful. In 1 Kings 17, in conclusion, we come to what is the crux of the matter, some would argue. It's a point in the narrative here in 1 Kings 17, verse 16, which could have gone a different direction. And most biblical texts have points within the text that are crux points, they're called, that depending on how someone responds to that point, the text can go this way, the text can go that way. And most often, the crux point involves obedience, obeying. For example, in Genesis 22, God tells Abraham to go to Har Moriah, to Mount Moriah, and, and offer up his son. Now, Abraham could have folded his arms and tapped his feet and said, I am not going to do that. But he doesn't do that at all. He actually obeys, and he does it. It gets pretty scary for him in a sense, if I could use a modern colloquialism. He goes there three days, and that's when he learns that God provides. He's Adonai Yireh, when the ram is caught by its shofars, its horns, in the thicket. That's when he learns. Abraham did. So the widow went away, 1 Kings 17, verse 16. She went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. There's the crux point. When she went away, she could have went away and not done what she had been asked to do. In other words, she could have chosen the route of obedience versus disobedience, and she could have chosen disobedience as her route. So the widow went away, did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Like any other person, or even perhaps like you or me here today, the widow could have chosen to do her own thing, but she didn't. She was faithful to do, to do, as the word said. She was faithful with what little provision she had. She was still faithful with it. She was faithful with that. And as a result, she received tremendous supply from the Lord that went on and on and on. Tremendous provision. The, the widow received blessing. The widow received provision. The widow received the blessing that comes from obedience in her life. So I want to give you three simple points. Things we can glean, there are probably 33 points we can glean from this text, but just three that I'd like to point out to you. Number one, be aware God often works in ways we do not perceive or understand. We have sayings that say, God works in mysterious ways. How many of you have heard that saying? God works in mysterious ways. But God often works in ways we do not perceive or understand, and they are his ways of doing things, and he is sovereign. They may not always be our way of accomplishing a goal. Number two, 
We must not forget that a walk with Yeshua is a walk of trust, a walk of faith. Let's not forget that. I know that seems axiomatic, but it's really very important. And remember that we walk by faith and not by sight, as 2 Corinthians says. And as we, as we have a walk of trust or faith, it shows itself through ongoing obedience. If we're really trusting the Lord, we're going to obey him. We're going to keep doing what he says. Even if we're like the son that uh, initially says, no, I will not go, but then he regrets it and he does it. Maybe that's us sometimes. That's certainly been me in my life. Where I realized, wow, I snapped out and said, no, I need to do what's right. I may have initially gone the direction of doing what's not right in God's sight, but then change. And friends, please don't despise that moment in your life. If you feel convicted about a matter and you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, please get it right with God and start going the right direction at that time because you don't know what's going to happen in the future. Now is the day of salvation. And lastly, and this is, a, I think this is a beautiful closing point. You know, there is always a blessing there's always a reward that's connected to obedience. There's a reward. We lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, not on this earth. That day is going to come when we will see the goodness of God. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning. Thank you that you work in ways that are far beyond us, and yet you choose to labor with us. You choose to work in our lives, and you've begun a good work, and you're going to complete it unto the day of Messiah. Thank you for that, Lord. Lord, I pray for each person here this day that you'll work in each individual life, each married couple's lives, each widow's life, each widower's life, each family's life, and work in our community, Lord, that you might be glorified because you told us that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Teach us to love you, Lord, in a deeper, fuller way for your glory alone. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.